This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Island. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with a phenomenal pre-4th of July show for you. We have some very special guests calling in and in studio, so you've got to stay tuned. We have Miami-Dade County Commission Chairwoman Audrey Edmondson. She is the District 3 Commissioner representing Miami's Upper East Side, Overtown, Downtown Miami, Midtown, Wynwood, Edgewater, El Portal, uh, Morningside, uh, you know, Miami Shores, all, all of these areas. Commissioner Edmondson will be calling in in just a few minutes. And we also have one of the winners of the Knights Arts Challenge, Marissa Almanick. And she's going to be telling us about the Alma Dance Theater, along with Adam Ganusha. He's going to be telling us all about the Night Arts Challenge, which you can get involved in. And we will have a whole lot more for you about that. You go to nightarts.org, right? nightarts.org. You can find out a whole lot more. But stay tuned. We've got Commissioner Edmondson coming up in just about seven minutes. However, this is the part of the program where we get a few minutes to speak directly with you, listening audience, about issues of importance that impact us citywide and sometimes beyond. And there's so much going on right now. I wanted to kind of start with some local situations and then move our way up to the debates, which were a local situation last week. And it's, you know, usually I focus on one topic in these chats, but this time there's just a lot going on. And I wanted to start with the Miami Heat, because uh, if you're not following it on Twitter, the Miami Heat just completed a tremendous uh, five-team trade, uh, a four-team trade plus another trade uh, to acquire Jimmy Butler. He's a, a all-NBA player, an all-star, uh, uh, somebody that's going to be a centerpiece on this team for years to come. He signed a four-year maximum contract with the Miami Heat, and they uh, managed to actually keep a lot of the core of the team together. The only person that's leaving is, is Josh Richardson, um, you know, we get Jimmy Butler for him and, uh, another player that we traded for, we traded Hassan Whiteside away. Uh, the heat sent him to Portland in exchange for a guy named Mo Harkless, who has been retraded to the Clippers in the Butler deal. And, uh, it is an exciting time to be an NBA fan. Uh, not just a Miami heat fan. Uh, the whole league is realigning. There's a lot of stuff going on. So I, I'm very, very happy to report to you that the Miami heat have done something exciting. Uh, people were pretty skeptical, and when I say skeptical, I mean like really angry at the Miami Heat. But now all of a sudden, Pat Riley's you know showed his hand, and yep, he had a pair of aces in the hole. Go figure. So it's a lot of fun. Something that's really uh, evolving on Twitter moment by moment, and uh, I'm retweeting a little bit of it. You can also follow me at Grant Stern on Twitter if you want to see some of that stuff. But there's a lot of other things going on. A lot. Uh, for starters, we had the Democratic debates here in Miami-Dade County last week at the, my, uh, the Arts Center for the Performing Arts. 
Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to the second night, which I think was the most dramatic night. Uh, I went out and, you know, hung out with the SEIU local 1991. They were protesting out in front of the hall before the first night. And I would just say that Julian Castro hit a massive home run. I don't think anybody was talking about Julian Castro until Wednesday night. But his, you know, his preparation, his plan and his policy really paid off. He is the, the first candidate to put out an immigration plan. He knew it quite well, and he knew what he was going after when he spoke with the former U.S. congressman from El Paso, Texas, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, he asked him if Beto O'Rourke would finally repeal <clears throat> something called Section 1325 of the Immigration Code, which is the criminal offense for unlawful border entry. And that is the criminal offense that the Trump administration decided to enforce like zero tolerance and fill up detention centers, many of them private detention centers, with immigrants who have really uh, no problems. They could certainly be, you know, given a notice to appear like many immigrants and people who are seeking asylum have been given in the past. And Julian Castro brought up something very interesting at the debate, which is that the Trump administration practices something called metering, where they won't accept all of the asylum applications at the normal ports of entry, which is why people are sneaking into the United States in order to claim asylum. So it was very enlightening that first night. I think Elizabeth Warren did extremely well. Everybody acknowledged that. Uh, she had a very clear field. She didn't have anybody go after. If you noticed, not a single person attacked her on that debate stage. Cory Booker had a very good night getting to lay out his plans and talk with the American people about his ideas. Uh, I actually just turned in a book on Cory Booker for my Meet the Candidates 2020 book series. You can also always find out about that at meetthecandidates2020.com. The second night was a lot different. It was fireworks. I mean, first of all, at a certain point early in the debate, the moderators lost control, totally lost control, and Kamala Harris stepped in and filled that void. And she did it spectacularly. It was a moment. I think people will remember it. If you recall, people are still talking about the first debate that the Republicans had in 2016. And I think people are going to be talking about that moment and what happened next for a long time. Uh, Representative Eric Swalwell, who is a U.S. Uh, congressman from California, very prominent, a member of the House Intelligence and House Judiciary Committees, the two committees that are leading the investigation into Donald Trump and bringing uh, Special Counsel Mueller in on July 17th. Clear your calendars, by the way. Uh, so Swalwell brought out a line that Joe Biden had used many, many years earlier. He said, pass the torch. And that kind of broke the ice. And that's what really gave the opening for Kamala Harris. And she brought up a lot of issues that are discussed in my forthcoming book on Joe Biden. I suggest you guys buy it because everything that you talked, you heard on that debate stage, all of that is actually discussed in total depth inside the book. I can't really convey all that to you right now, but you can always find it at meetthecandidates2020.com. So, I mean, I think that it was a big deal that all of the candidates went to Homestead, or at least over a dozen of them, they went to Homestead to make sure that the world knows that there is an atrocity being committed in the name of border security, when the truth of the matter is these people are political prisoners. They're being kept prisoner because of politics, not because of anything that they've done that is damaging our society. That's very important to point out. I'm just going to say one last thing. My friend uh, Danny uh, Trabanco Rivero over at WLRN, uh, 
he actually wrote a story about this, and he wrote a story about how the Cuban people are being imprisoned and detained at an incredibly high rate. They're being detained at 700% of the levels that they were being detained at before because of the Trump policy. Trump decided to sanction Cuba. He's pushing uh, Castro's government away from capitalism, and people are fleeing the communist island. And unfortunately, President Trump didn't think to reinstate the prior immigration policy for the Cuban people. And now they are piling up in the prisons. There are over 8,000 when there was only around 1,000 before. So it's a total mess. I hope you guys stay engaged and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Bump the tweeters and the speakers, turn the baseline up. If you're dosing, what's your potion? It's swelling up your emotions. Roller coasting, dance promotion. She's ego tripping, you're boasting. Focus, 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 focus. Five and dime, you're cute, she's fine. You're halfway there with a spit of your rhyme. You can fake it till you make it, like a wish on a star. Put your hands in the air, cause you know who you are. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with Miami-Dade Commission Chairwoman Audrey Edmondson. Commissioner Edmondson, thank you so much for joining me on the program. Oh, and thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. So there's a lot of issues that I wanted to discuss with you, uh, but I wanted to start by putting you on the spot a little bit and asking you if you have Uh any plans for after your term expires in 2020. Do you have any plans yet? I'm retiring. Oh, there we go. Okay. That's a good plan. (laughs) It certainly has a lot more free time than others, right? Yes. So, uh, Commissioner Edmondson, I'd like to ask you about something that's going on in the city of Miami, and it's an intergovernmental issue. I know that a lot of people think that's exciting, but actually it's a very interesting subject. We had CRA expert Frank Schnidman on the program last week, and he called what City of Miami Commissioner Ken Russell is doing with the Omni CRA to create a child CRA in the West Grove. Uh, He called it a bait and switch and said that there is nothing planned for the West Grove and they would have no money. Uh, do you think that this is a policy that the county commission is going to pass? Is the county commission going to approve Commissioner Russell's decision? Well, as you know, um, 
it has to come before the commission. I, as district commissioner, will not be supporting it. Let me put it that way. Okay. Uh, Can can you explain to our listeners a little bit of the reason why? Um, I'm not in favor of approving this expansion uh, because, for one thing, the current um, CRA community, uh, the purpose of a CRA is to create economic development as well as build affordable housing. He wants the money to go to the West Grove to build affordable housing. The only housing that I'm aware of that has been built in the current Omni-CRA area is an eight-unit redevelopment done by Arbor James. That is correct. And that is not a significant amount for me to say, well, you have built affordable housing in the Omni district. It will also take years before a new CRA uh, in the West Grove can actually produce enough TIF funds to build affordable housing. So what he's going to do is take the money from the current CRA, send it over there, and he's saying that he's borrowing the money. I don't believe that. I don't believe that either, because it's going to take a long time for them to build up enough money in the West Grove area. Meanwhile, there would be no affordable housing or economic development within the current uh, on the area. So these are some of the reasons that I am not for this. Uh, I cannot see myself allowing funds to move from one CRA area where nothing has been done. Johnny Witten was there, uh, no affordable housing. Uh, Then came Sarnoff, no affordable housing. And now we have Russell there, and we get eight units. Not a lot of apartments, really. Eight. Really. So, no, that's why I can't. And I also understand that the West Grove community came out to the meeting in force. And I understand that they have a need for affordable housing. Uh, but I also understand that the the current CRA, Omni-CRA, has not done what it was supposed to do, what it's supposed to do for this particular area. Yeah, I, I think that's hard to dispute. Um, I've lived in and next to the Omni CRA area for many, many years, and I've never seen a major affordable housing project from them or um, really kind of anything because they, they spend the money on tunnels and, and parks. And, uh, and market know. rate housing, uh, luxury apartments, uh, a television studio or movie studio, whatever that is, oh, that yeah. they don't use it that often. Yeah, I've never been inside there. Uh, is is that really functioning? I don't see much coming out of it. Um, I cannot say for sure whether or not it's functioning or not, but I don't see much coming out of there. Well, uh, you know, what really tipped me off that there was something funny going on in the, the Omni CRA was that a friend roped me into a meeting, and the meeting was with the Omni CRA uh, uh, director and all of the developers who own property in the neighborhood, and the whole discussion was how to get more upzoning. And I, I just never heard of that being the use of a CRA. Is that normal? Uh, I don't think it is. <laughs> it doesn't sound All I know is that the Omni uh, CRA owns some property in that area. They can take, uh, and this is a way when, that you can, um, I guess, get other developers, developers that build affordable housing 
you can motivate them and give them an incentive to come into that area and build affordable housing on the property that the CRA owns. They can convey that to the affordable housing developers. So when you say upzoning, there's no need for that. So what are your plans now that you're the chairwoman of the commission for the next 18 months? What is your, your top plan as chairwoman? Uh, I, I guess you were talking about my priorities. Yes. Uh, housing, affordable housing. That's one since we're on it. Uh, we've been talking about affordable housing. That's one. Uh, the smart plan, uh, ensuring that we get uh, some of it or most of it done prior or get it ready to go prior before the mayor and I leave. Uh, also, sea level rise. I'm I, I'm making that a priority because I have some of my colleagues who have really been taking an interest in that and have been working on it. And with me uh, supporting that with them, I think they'll be able to get a lot more done on on sea level rise. Well, we've certainly talked a lot about affordable housing. Uh, What would be one initiative that you think we can accomplish in the next 18 months in Miami-Dade County here? When it comes down to affordable housing? Yes. Right now we have a a housing summit uh, scheduled for the month of October where we will be discussing that with all the um, interested groups as well as the community and the experts to see exactly what we can do. We have a goal of 10,000 units, and I would like to see us get that started prior to us leaving. Are, are you happy with the new project in Liberty Square that just got uh, uh, unveiled today? Uh, the HUD Secretary, Ben Carson, was here visiting Miami to uh, tour the property with luminaries, including the mayor? Yes, I was there. I oh, okay. was there and I, I spoke, and I, I think it's something wonderful, something you should go out and see because it's a real transformation. What I'm also seeing uh, with the building of Liberty Square is uh, we're transforming the area around Liberty Square, not just Liberty Square. Right. So how are so they I doing that, that exactly? Concern. You just have uh, the different companies coming in. You have... Um, uh, ASPCA, uh, they're building uh, right across the street from it. The Sickle Cell will be building uh, a clinic uh, right across the street on 62nd, as well as the city itself is improving uh, 15th Avenue. You see businesses coming in now that uh, they see that improvement with the Liberty Square area. I think what's going to happen is once they're finished and the way in which they're building uh, uh, Liberty Square, a lot of the crime will be reduced because we will have mixed income in there as well. That's that's great. Um, so let's move on to the SMART plan because I know that everybody, and I do mean everybody who lives in Miami, is concerned about the state of transit and transportation, uh, including just tremendously terrible traffic. So what do you believe is the next step in the SMART plan? Because the, the first step that the commission has taken in the last several years is the approval of the bus line, uh, a high-speed uh, rapid bus rapid transit line in South Dade that'll go from Dadeland South all the way down to Florida City, and it actually will be prepared for a light rail if uh, the county ever so chooses to upgrade it. But what's your next step for the SMART plan in Miami-Dade County? Well, we have already prioritized that South Corridor that you're referring to uh, with the bus, the rapid bus transit, and we're prioritizing the North Corridor as well. Okay. Uh, it has been recommended that we use uh, rail on the North Cor- Corridor, and that's elevated rail. Um, 
So that, that's our next uh, priority that we're going to try and get that started as well before we leave. Now, you, you have to understand that I don't think we're going to be able to get everything done before we leave, but I would like sure. to set the stage for everything to, uh, to continue on with the next commissioner. So the North Line would go up 27th Avenue to the stadium, right? Yes. Uh, how, yes, many, how many people are in that corridor? That's a very uh, heavily populated area. Well, I couldn't tell you how many people is in that area, <laughs> uh, but I can tell you how much money we're spending on the whole entire uh, concept. How much is that? We're, let's see. We're using about $975 million from PTP funding, about $860 That's the half-cent sales tax. Million. Yes, that's from PTP. Yeah. About $4.7 billion from PTP half-penny sales tax. Ah, gotcha. And then the, the, the uh, $816 million from the PTP capital funding. Uh, we are also, ourselves, are putting in $975 million from the TPO, which is the Transportation Planning Organization, and $1.8 billion from the tax increment financing which will allow the county to utilize future growth and tax revenue that will be generated by economic growth. For our listeners, so, that's the same method that funds the CRAs. When you do something there, the county ta- captures the tax funds from the growth by having rail there and puts that towards the project. Right. right. And we'll also uh, use $130 million from our uh, transit-oriented development and I can give you a perfect example, such as Block 45 project that we're doing in Overtown. That's a, a P3 uh, development, and we will they will actually refurbish our Overtown Metro Rail Station as part of their mixed-use project. Oh, and wow. that is a part of smart plan. Right. That's a public-private partnership, right? Yeah. Now, there's another one of those I'm going to bring up later because I just saw that there was a, a memorandum on the courthouse that just came out, uh, the prospective new courthouse. But I want to save that for after we talk about sea level rise. What is the county that's doing? That's Sally Heyman. Oh, okay, gotcha. That's, that's, that's my colleague Sally Heyman. She's the one that's, that that knows everything about that courthouse. <laughs> well, we'll have to bring her on the show next. How? How's, yes. How about that? <laughs> um, that, that sounds good. So uh, yeah, Sally rep- uh, Commissioner Heyman represents uh, Miami Beach, the up basically the northeast side of town for the county. So, uh, yes. you know, so Surfside, the north part of Miami Beach, uh, Sunny Isles, all that. So speaking of beaches and islands and all these things, uh, what is the county planning to do to make Miami-Dade more resilient to sea level rise? Because it's a huge problem that I've told people about that we really have to be concerned that this could threaten our drinking water supply because of the underground pressure that the seawater puts on our aquifer. So what's the county doing to make sure that Miami-Dade remains livable for our kids and our grandkids? Well, you know, we've already done, um, have passed a lot of legislation uh, uh, regarding sea level rise. One of the main things we're doing is improving our infrastructure. Uh, Here in the county, we've passed legislation that also ensures that all county buildings in the future, as well as other buildings, uh, when they uh, get ready to make their plans, that they have to consider uh, flooding, they have to consider anything that comes along with uh, sustainability with these uh, buildings. So we, we're, we're making um, a lot of commitments here with that. We're doing a lot with it, as well as uh, Commissioner Sosa and Commissioner Carver. The, the two of them have been working hard on that. And yes, 
that's one of the reasons I prioritize that as well, as I said before, to ensure that they have everything that they need to, uh, uh, I guess, address these issues. Well, isn't District 3 one of the most districts that's the most vulnerable to sea level rise? It is, as well as Miami Beach. I think the whole entire country is vulnerable. Uh, District 3 is not as vulnerable as, let's say, Miami Beach. But we do have flooding somewhere everywhere. That's now, true. with sea level rise in District 3 is mainly uh, the septic tanks, uh, homes with septic uh, systems. That yeah. that has a great impact on, on that. And that's one mainly Miami Shores, El Patel, all up in that area. Right. That is a very big area for Miami Shores because for those who don't know, that area doesn't have county sewers. Is there any plan to bring the, the county's uh, infrastructure into Miami Shores now that there's these issues? Yes. Yes. Believe it or not, there's plans. We're already working with them. No way. Well, you know, people have always asked, why does Miami Shores never have any cool restaurants or anything? And it's because you need... That's why. <laughs> yeah. Because they're on septic. So that's one of the reasons we've been working with Tom Bitten, and now we're getting ready to assist them with bringing a, a pipe into uh, the Northeast 2nd Avenue corridor. That's going to be fun traffic-wise, but I think that the ultimate result is probably going to be pretty good. Um, yeah, it will be. So one last thing I'd like to ask you about is something that you've been out on, out in front on in the past, and it is uh, remaking the four acres behind the American Airlines Arena to become Dan Paul Park and to become you know accessible to the public again. Is there any plan for the, the commission or the county government to make that area into a public park? Well, I've already uh, taken legislation through uh, for it to be named Dan Paul uh, Plaza. Um, and the reason I did that, as you know, a plaza is somewhat different from a park. Sure. And that's because we we do have um, an agreement with the AAA where they can use a part of it for uh, their staging. Right. As long as they stay on the asphalt, I'm fine with them using a part of it for staging when they have uh, certain events here. Sure. Um, so that's the only reason I could not name it a park because our our policy states that we cannot allow uh, businesses to use any of our parks for staging. Gotcha. So this 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 was a way around it. Um, as you know, American Airlines Arena that that is one of our our big um, I guess money makers with with the uh, team. I don't want to hurt the team, nor do I want to hurt the residents in the downtown area. So sometimes you, you do compromise, and that was the compromise that I came up with. We are also, we're putting in benches, we're putting in trees, we're making it just a, a nice place for uh, the residents over uh, downtown to go out and visit. And there's going to be a whole lot more of them soon with the World Center Project getting ready to open its doors officially probably in the That's next right. 12 months, right? Yes, you're absolutely right. But if you go out there now, you would see a, a beautiful uh, I guess more of a passive type park that's there now. Gotcha. But it is open to the public now? Yes, it is open to the public. And mm-hmm. they have had events and picnics and everything else right there on uh, Dan Paul Plaza. Very cool. Very cool. I will let people know that it is finally open to the public and Dan Paul Plaza uh, is ready for business, so to speak, for you know your enjoyment. Well, Commissioner Edmondson, yes. I really... 
one of my priorities was also gun violence. Do we have time to talk about that? Sure, let's talk about that. What, what can what can be done? Because that is definitely a big issue here in Miami Dade County, where there's over a hundred homicides per year. Probably many of them with guns. Oh, a lot. And um, I, I I tell you, there was a cry out from the people uh, within our communities, and not just in my district, but I mean countywide. You have these pockets of communities where the gun violence is, is extremely strong. So what we have done is we have um, we brought in a gun violence initiative, uh, which also incorporates uh, the group violence initiative by John Jay College. And okay. we've already started with that, and we've chosen the, high, the heavy crime areas. What we're doing in those areas are um, we've started with the uh, teen curfew. We have signs up, billboards up, letting people know that the teen curfew is in effect, and we will start enforcing that because that was already something that was on the books, but we weren't really enforcing it the way we should have. And we were not educating everyone and making them aware that there is a teen curfew uh, within uh, Miami-Dade County. So we started with that, and then the next step would be the the boots on the ground, which means we will uh, train and we have trained uh, residents, people from the community, those who are out in the street, we have trained them and will pay them to go knock on doors of the known criminals. And they will give them the option of being trained, getting trained, uh, the county assisting them in getting a job, or they can continue doing what they're doing. But if they continue doing what they're doing, then they are made aware that we are there and we are watching them. Very Um, interesting. yeah, very interesting, and we've already started this. This is an initiative that um, I came up with along with the mayor and Commissioner Bobo. Uh, I had about four groups come to me and say, Commissioner, we need to do something, do something out of the box, and this is what I'm doing. We're also offering services to those families whose children we pick up after hours or the children that we pick up during the day who um, uh, are truant from school. And the school system will be assisting us with that as well as our juvenile justice department uh, with the young children. Because normally by the age of, um, I guess, eight or nine or third grade, you can see whether a child is going to probably become a problem within the community, whether they're at risk. And that you could tell that by their attendance in school. Very interesting. And uh, in, the, in the third grade, it's not that child that's keeping themselves out of school. It's sure. the parents. It's the parents, right? So we will approach the parents. We will give them a, an opportunity to let us know what they may need to to make sure that child is in school. What type of help or counseling or whatever they need, we're going to try our best to give it to them. That's if it continues, then we will have to hold the parents responsible. How so? How so? First, the warning, and yes, they could be picked up. Uh, we are going to give them every opportunity that they can to help their child and help their family. Is there a name for the program? Is there a website that people people could find out more about this program, this gun violence prevention it's our, program? It's our gun violence initiative. And, and the group violence initiative is also intertwined in that. And we have four different uh, working groups on that. And those groups are the... Um, Peacemakers uh, with uh, Circle of Brotherhood, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the Community Youth Against Violence, and the Urban Partnership 
all working together along with uh, the county department service providers and our juvenile service department and police department. Now, if they want to look for the curfew site, it's miamidade.gov slash curfew. Okay. That's that's the curfew site, miamidade.gov slash curfew. Uh, are there and any other? Be, no, we will be putting that on. It's rainy right now. It's, it's hard copies. But uh, you're giving me a good idea. We need to put all of that on the web as well. Well, you'll have to let me know so I can let everybody know about it once that website is up. Does that sound like a plan? That sounds like a plan. But um, I, I know that I'm getting criticism because we're only working in certain areas uh, right now with this gun violence. They're saying, why not countywide? Well, we are working countywide, but we do not work within the cities. The cities are joining in. Uh, let's see, we have Miami Gardens that's joining in. They're paying their, their fair share uh, for this to occur in Miami Gardens in the city of Miami. They're still working on their logistics. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to hear about this program because I think it's something that's long overdue. It's going to take out-of-the-box suggestions and, and programs, like you said. So uh, please, please do have your office let us know, and we can tell everybody about this uh, once there's more information on the web. But Chairwoman Edmondson, I really appreciate you coming on the program tonight. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you asking me. Ask me again sometime soon, and I'll be right back. You've got it. We will definitely bring you on the show soon for an update. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with Adam Ganusha from the Knight Foundation and Marissa Almanick from the Almanick Dance Studio. Guys, thank you for so much for joining me on the program tonight. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Great to be here, man. It is my pleasure. And before we get going, I want to just mention that song you just heard, El, la, En La Playa Giron, by Electric Piquete. It's one of our staples here on The Only Miami Show. And it is featured in Billy Corbin's new film, Magic City Hustle, which is Ooh. only available streaming today. It just released today, magiccityhustle.com. It's five bucks, and it's worth it. I'm a Billy Corbin fan. Yeah? Yeah, <laughs> yeah me that's too. A, that's, a, that's a hot ticket right there. It is a hot ticket. I went to the theatrical premiere and it was like nice. eleven seventy five. So I think five dollars is a good deal. A hundred percent. Yeah. And as many people as you want can watch it at that point. That's so, so great. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. So guys, thank you so much for joining me. I mean, it's awesome to have you both back here. Well, thank you. Adam back here. It's your first time, right, Mel? Yeah, it's my first time here officially. That's right. So so Marissa, tell our listeners a little bit about the Alma Nick Dance Theater. Yeah, so um Alma Dance Theater, I established it in the fall of two thousand fourteen here in Miami. Uh, it's an all-female-centric contemporary dance theater company. We do a lot of pop-up shows, site-specific performances, videos, all of it. <laughs> so uh, where have you guys performed around town? Um, let's see. We've done most of you know the theaters, of course, uh, the Design District, uh, downtown Miami. Right now we have a show at Faina Theater starting in the fall, uh, also at the Colony, uh, Miami Beach Theater. And uh, then we have a show also that's going to be in this new pop-up performance in downtown Miami. So something way, you know, non-traditional. Well, the reason we invited you here is because you got recognized by the Knight Foundation for being innovative, right? Yeah, yeah, being a... a very grateful. Um, Miami-based artist. It was for a project uh, called Flowers. And um, through the Knight Foundation, we were able to perform this piece uh, three different times in different theaters, uh, each time adapting for the space and mm -hmm. uh, for the audience. Sure. And it was a piece about Alzheimer's and dementia. So it was important also to bring the, the piece or a version of the piece into certain nursing homes uh, for uh, patients and their loved ones going through this experience of dementia and Alzheimer's. It is a very difficult experience. It's almost Not hard to put into words, so I made a dance about it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, people don't realize it affects not just the person that's, you know, ill, but their family. Totally. That's, um, you know, the community for for the company and, and the work actually grew from this experience because, you know, you kind of stay in your own bubble sometimes with what mm -hmm. you do. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see that you make work beyond yourself and give a voice to people in this, again, inexplicable experience that can really take a hold of you. And, and if you have no way of expressing this or almost, you know, guilt, frustration, all these things, um, you know, it's nice to have this outlet through the arts. Yeah. Well, it, like the key phrase there is getting people out of their bubble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, uh, you know, dance, I say, is it's always like the stepchild of the arts, just kind of hiding in its corner and always trying to find its people. And dieting. And dieting. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's nice to find. A, um, I, I've always liked to make work that kind of speaks to people beyond the dance world, you know, or, or beyond the dance community who have that language accessible to them. You know, um, so it was nice to, you know, encounter people that 
they've never really been to a dance show. It hurts to say that, but they haven't. You know, and so finding ways to also bring the arts to like public spaces, making it more accessible, um, not just to your typical like $80, you know, a ticket patron. Yeah. So, you know, navigating through all those things. Well, mm -hmm. dance is very much a universal language like music. Mm -hmm. It's something that you don't have to uh, learn to appreciate something you yeah. learn to appreciate. But you don't have to study to appreciate a good dance. Sure. And, and, and I think that was one of the one of the things that really drew me to to flowers um initially when i when i read about it was because the this is something that studies have shown and you can see um, videos online about it where with people who have really advanced stage dementia the one of the few ways that you can re-inject light into their soul is through the arts it's through music yeah. it's a type of communication that you learn that you a person still responds to even though all the other um, sort of vehicles for communications have shut off and so to see um, that same sort of idea but then translated into mm -hmm. a, a really stunning uh, contemporary dance piece which not only is the the movement of it um, spectacular I mean it looks great the just the lighting and the staging everything was, was awesome I, I, I thought um, you know, this is this is a project that is um, really transform can transform a viewer uh, on a number of different levels. Thank you. Yeah, you know, the process, the per most personal part of that was I, I felt the need to do this piece because one of the last ways I communicated with my grandmother in the hospital was just through these videos of dance. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I couldn't really get down the way I wanted to in her nursing home, but yeah, I would yeah. bring these videos of what I was doing and. Mm, a lot of what I was expressing was coming from that frustration. It was really hard to mm. communicate. You know, if anybody who's been through that, you know, understand that statement. And so it just, it, it, it felt right, you know, and yeah. um, the dancers too are just, they, they brought this, these stories to life with so much commitment and vulnerability and courage, you know, and so mm. that also helps really transcend the story beyond the stage and into whichever audience we were performing it for. Oh, that's very, very cool. Uh, where can our listeners find out a little bit more about your theater? Sure. Um, I mean, your dance troupe. I'm sorry, yeah, theater. the <laughs> Alma Dance Theater, uh, almadancetheater.com, uh, T-H-E-A-T-E-R. <laughs> and very, very, uh, yeah, the American way. Oh, yeah, the American, American way. way. <laughs> the American Dance Theater. I stay true to my nation. And, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, the at, at Alma Dance Theater as well. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. Yes. <laughs> so at Alma Dance Theater or Alma Dance Theater, spelled the American way. Spelled the American way. Dot com. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Let's do this. We're going to take a very short break and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with Marissa Almanick of the Almanick Dance Theater, spelled the American way. <laughs> and, and Adam Ganusha is here from the Knight Foundation. So, Adam. The Night Arts Challenge is accepting applications once again, is it not? Once again, but first, Grant. But first. I'd like to point out that you have really good music on your show. Hell Thank yeah. you. And Thank it's you. all Miami stuff, man. Yes. So it I, is all Miami stuff. That That's, uh, you heard Paolo just now. Mm-hmm. Paolo is awesome. We had Afro Beta on earlier. Mm-hmm. And of course, Electric Piquete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going with all the all-stars, man. So anyways, <laughs> not to digress. Um, yes, I'm here to uh, announce in a really excited way. I'm super happy to say that we have opened the Night Arts Challenge in Miami again this year. It's a grant program for people who have great ideas uh, for the arts. It is a program that asks a very simple question, which is, what is your best idea for the arts? And this idea can come from not only an organization, uh, a nonprofit like the Alma Dance Theater, um, but also from individual artists or artist collectives. We are looking to find people who have talent, who have creativity, and who have an idea that is authentic to the city, which we all love. Um, This is the 11th year of the challenge, and in that time, we've supported about 380 grants to the tune of $32 million. Quite a bit. It's a lot of art, man. It is uh, a lot of art. In 2019, (laughs) we are awarding up to $2 million. You can find all the information about the challenge, how to apply, uh, and past winners on our website. That's kf.org or nightarts.org, um, whichever whichever you choose. It's really a wonderful opportunity. And, and mm-hmm. who is this open to exactly? Is it knights only? Do you, do you have to be an anointed knight, <laughs> yes, Sir Adam? If you are on the round, if you are a member of the round table, you get a little extra points. No, this is this is open to all of the all of our people here in our community, and and not just in Miami. This is uh, we're seeking ideas that uh, take place anywhere in the area between West Palm Beach and Key West. So it's Palm Beach County, Broward, Miami Dade, and Monroe County. Now, in this first round uh, application, which is open now and we'll be accepting applications until July 26th. That's a Friday. All I'm taking notes here, by the way. <laughs> I'm ready to apply. Continue, continue. July 26th deadline. Okay, next. Yes, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we... Uh, <laughs> You maybe lose my train of thought, man. <laughs> no, what, what we're in this first round, um, we ask people to provide to present to us simply a hundred and fifty word description of your idea. That's it. It's like the elevator pitch for your idea. You don't need to uh, include work samples or letters of support or budget or even an exact dollar figure. What we want is just is is for you to, in a short, uh, concrete, and compelling way. Tell us your great idea about the arts. And I'm going to give everybody who's listening a little bit of help to do that 150 words. <laughs> because 150 words is approximately how many words a per- normal person speaks in one minute. Yeah. So if you just speak for one minute, you could start with that, right? Sure. Write sure. it down, you know, transcribe <laughs> it. 
<laughs> you know? This 150 words takes me like a month. <laughs> it starts with like 700 so I can narrow it down to 150. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the, the fun. Yeah. And I think it is, listen, it, uh, part of me f- knows that it is more difficult to write a tight 150 words than a loose 750 words. But or an even looser 10,000 words. Believe yeah, me, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Since <laughs> the man with the weekly radio show knows that, knows that very well. Uh, <laughs> it is a, a, an easy application um, for you to submit. And, you know, it's, you might just be able to um, be awarded um, some funding to support your big idea. And if you have 1,200 words, there's always the, the lip service theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Marissa, I wanted to know, how did you hear about the Knights, Night Arts Challenge? Because obviously all of our listeners are just going to go to nightarts.org. But how did you hear about this? All my friends. I mean, I think I just, just popped on the radar of, you know, who I circle around. Everybody heard about Night Arts. It's I think as far as I still know, the only major like philanthropist organization for Miami, Mm -hmm. um, for the arts especially. So, you know, everybody I knew heard about it. And um, it took, I I definitely, I think I applied, I don't know if it was consecutive years, but I applied a few times before actually getting the award. It's like, you know, writing, the grant and award application process takes, I think, time in figuring out Mm -hmm. how to really... Uh, clearly express your ideas to a stranger you yeah know? sure and and you know the arts challenge started in 2008 and <laughs> i submitted a, an idea for the arts challenge uh, a bunch of ideas for a number of years and was uh, unsuccessful but and around 2011 and again in 2013 2014 I was a, a winner of the Arts Challenge with a nonprofit organization that I used to be a part of called called the Rhythm Foundation, huh, where cool. we um, used the night funding to produce some uh, live inter- concerts, live music concerts with great uh, international artists as a way to spur cultural exchange between uh, different communities here in uh, Miami. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I think everybody who's listening to this right now probably knows about the Rhythm Foundation if they're local. Sure, mm-hmm. and if they don't, they should they should look them up right after they look up off all the names that you listed. Um, What's the website? I think their website is um, rhythmfoundation.org. If, rhythmfoundation.org? Yeah, R-H-Y-T-H-M foundation.org. It's a fabulous, fabulous uh, group of people. If you're familiar with the North Beach Band Shell over on 72nd mm-hmm. and Collins, they are the operators of that space. Only place you can listen to live music outside in the city of Miami Beach, by the way. That's my hometown, North Beach. Yeah, right. North <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, I got a bunch of love, Normandy Island all the way. Anyways, um, <laughs> it, it, it's a, a fabulous organization and, and a group that was able to take this um, Night Arts uh, Challenge investment and be able to use that to capitalize to to catalyze all sorts of other other growth. You know, it, yeah. it helps build the the momentum of of, of an organization and an or an individual. And that's a story that I've seen time and time and again across all the cities where the Arts Challenge runs. This year, we're running in uh, Miami or South Florida, generally Detroit, Michigan, and Akron, Ohio. And it's for me some of the most uh, personally fulfilling stories is when you take uh, someone uh, who has a small idea and then 
Knight takes a risk on this person, makes an investment, and that uh, that investment, that funding, it changes the trajectory of their career mm-hmm. in a very, very positive way. And um, that that's something that I see uh, happens uh, every year, and I'm always so happy to and proud to be a part of that. Yeah. So people only have until July 26th, right? That is correct. So you've got 25 uh, days and and maybe five hours (laughs) to write 150 (laughs) words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just 150 words. Um, Then we we assemble a panel of local readers who know the city very well, know the arts here uh, uh, very well. And um, find, we select finalists. Those finalists go through a full proposal process. It's more along the lines of conventional grant application. And we have announced all the winners on December 2nd of this year, which is the Monday of Art Basel <laughs> Week. We do a big blowout event that's going to be at the Perez Art Museum Miami. Well, Adam, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show, and you too, Marissa. Thank you so much. Uh, can you guys tell me one last time your website so our listeners can go out there and tap, tap, tap on the yeah, keyboard? Yeah, Alma Dance Theater, uh, spelled the American way, <laughs> dot com. You're going to say that from now on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And kf.org. Or nightarts.org, right? That's correct. Well, guys, I appreciate you joining me tonight, and I'd like to thank Commissioner Edmondson for joining us by phone this evening. And that's all the time we have for tonight's Only in Miami show. We'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show.